People say, I make too many assumptions. Well, they don't actually say it, but I know they're thinking it. A young man from a wealthy family was about to graduate from high school. It was the custom in his neighborhood for the parents to buy their high school graduates an automobile for graduation. Bill and his father spent months looking at cars, and a week before graduation, they found just the right one. Bill was confident that that car would be in their driveway on graduation day. You can imagine the disappointment that Bill experienced on the eve of his graduation when his father handed him a gift. It was a Bible. It was a really nice Bible, leather-bound, gold leaf. And his father said, Happy graduation. <laughs> he was angry. He, he was incensed. He was, he was so beyond disappointed that he threw the Bible down, stormed out of the house, and never spoke to his father again. Bill was in the home in which he was raised only after his father's death, decades later. As he was going through his father's possessions that he was to inherit, he came across this Bible. And he picked it up, and he opened it up. And there he found a cashier's check dated the day of his graduation in the amount needed to purchase that one car they had found together. Sometimes faulty assumptions are very, very costly. Text of Scripture before us this morning poignantly illustrates that fact. We're in John chapter 7. And if you were here with us last Lord's Day, you will recall that that particular chapter opens up with Jesus in the northern region of Galilee. He had been doing ministry in that part of, of the promised land. And very sh shortly into that chapter, we learn that it is the Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles, a.k.a. the Feast of the Ingathering, one of the three required feasts where all Jewish males were uh, required by Mosaic law to attend in Jerusalem. In the course of uh, the, 
the, the chapter unfolding, Jesus is in a conversation with his half-brothers. And he says to them, uh, verse 8 of John chapter 7, go, go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast because my time is not yet fully come. Having said these, to, these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. So as Jesus dismissed his half-brothers to go to the feast in Jerusalem, he stayed in Galilee. But as you will recall, the very next verse informs us that Jesus does go up, according to Mosaic law, to Jerusalem. But he does so not as the brothers suggested, not with fanfare, not with applause, not with uh, big signs and wonders, not Jesus dressed in an Armani suit to draw attention to himself. No, Jesus went secretively. He went incognito, if you will. Our text picks up at verse 14 this morning. Now it was in the midst of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. The Jews then, astonished, said, how, how has this man become learned, having never been educated? So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself, from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true. And there is no unrighteousness in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you carries out the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who seeks to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one deed, and you marvel. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken... Are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, Is this not the man who they are seeking to kill? Look, he is he's, he's speaking publicly. And they are saying nothing to him. The, the rulers do not really think that this is the Christ, do they? However, we know where this man is from. And whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. Then Jesus cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, You both know me and know where I am from? And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. 
So they were seeking to seize him, and no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. But many of the crowd believed in him, and they were saying, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? We find in our text this morning three faulty assumptions in the minds and on the lips of the religious leaders and the most of the Jews in uh, Jerusalem on this occasion. Those faulty uh, assumptions had to do with Jesus' education and their tradition and biblical prophecy. Follow along in your notes. Assumption number one. Only formal education is true education. Now, you remember that uh, Jesus went up to the feast incognito, but then we find in verse 14 that he is teaching in the temple. That's not exactly in secret. He was in a very public place, and he was teaching as many who would hear. That was typical for the rabbis. They would sit and they would teach, and as whatever they were teaching caught the ear, caught the interest of listeners, they would gather a crowd. And so Jesus did the same. He began to teach. And verse 15 informs us that the Jews were astonished. Now maybe, maybe Jesus had not been teaching when the, the religious leaders had been present. Maybe they simply had ignored Jesus and didn't want to know what he was saying. But at least on this occasion, they heard him. They listened. They understood what he was teaching, and they were astonished. Now, you remember uh, the, 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 the hoi polloi, the masses, the, the people that heard Jesus speak with regularity had already long ago been astonished by his teaching. After Jesus' famed Sermon on the Mount, uh, the crowds, well, this, this is the commentary that, that Matthew provides for us. Uh, when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Jesus' teaching was set apart. It was with power. It was with authority. And people knew that. They saw that. Well, on this occasion, just some six months before Jesus is crucified, the religious leaders heard, and they were astonished. Listen to what they said. How, how has this man become learned, having never been educated? Let me translate that for you. We can't trust this guy because he didn't go through one of our schools. He hasn't been educated in the ways of the rabbis. 
His teaching is unreliable. Faulty assumption number one. Only formal education is true education. You know people just like I know people who have lots of letters after their names. And some of them have what, it, what, we, what we call an, an earned doctorate. I'm thinking of one, in, one individual myself that I knew from years ago. He's got this doctorate, yeah? Now, what, what does a doctorate supposed to give you? Well, it's supposed to give you learning skill, understanding, knowledge, the ability to put a lot of things together, to speak with authority and interest, command the attention of an audience. Sometimes these people have no common sense and lack the ability and the skill to really wrap their mind around their own discipline. Formal education does not make you smart, intelligent, or um, have something to contribute to society. And the opposite, the lack of formal education does not mean that you are ignorant and have nothing to contribute. I'm finishing a book. should probably finish it this week about two heroes from the Civil War era. One is a lawyer from Illinois by the name of Abraham Lincoln. The other one was a slave um, who turned an abolitionist who was um, an author and an orator of the first class. Now, a man by the name of, of uh, William, uh, um, uh, 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 Frederick Douglass. Um, now, Abraham Lincoln had no more than a grammar school education. He didn't go to high school, didn't graduate from high school, didn't go to college. And yet, he taught himself law. Frederick Douglass had no formal schooling whatsoever. And yet this man taught himself how to read, how to write, how to speak with power and persuasion. He even took a job one time as a bellows operator, fanning a, a, a flame with, with old-time bellows so that he could stand in one location and he could affix paper on the wall so he could read and learn and study. Now, formal education is designed to help a person read and reason. Formal education is, 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 is not necessarily to be an information dump. 
but it is to help you prepare you, give you the tools so that you can leave that institution and continue to grow, to learn, to understand, to contribute. Now here are these religious leaders. And they say, Jesus, you didn't go to one of our schools. You don't have the credentials you don't have the right initials after your name. Ergo, we can't trust what you say. We won't listen to what you say. Well, Jesus responds. Verse 16. My teaching is not mine but his who sent me. That is a stroke of brilliance and truth. What Jesus is saying here is not, I'm self-taught. And he's not saying, I don't need to be taught. He's not saying either of those things. Were he to say either one of those things, he would have been charged with being arrogant and unteachable. And Jesus is not either of those. He said, I had a formal education. It just wasn't in one of your schools. I wasn't taught by one of your rabbis. I was taught by Almighty God. Wow. Can, can, I, can I put a pause button on, on, on the text for just a moment and, and explore a theological idea with you? Say yes. yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <clears throat> Think about this for just a moment. Jesus being taught by the Father. Jesus being taught by the Father. Let me ask you a few questions. Is Jesus fully God and fully man? Answer? Yes. Thank you. Oh, you're, you're such good students. <laughs> Okay, so if Jesus is fully God, does he possess within himself the attributes of the divine? Yes, thank you. That's the right answer. Among those attributes that are shared among the Godhead, is Jesus omniscient that is does he know all things yes so if jesus is god and he shares the qualities of deity and he is himself omniscient knowing all things why does he need to be taught anything Okay, while your mind is stirring on that conundrum, let, let, me, let me put it in different words. 
Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 reads this way. This is Jesus speaking of his second coming, his second advent. He said, of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Jesus says he doesn't know the hour he will return. Okay, let me, let me, let me back up and just, just ask a few more questions of you. Is Jesus fully God? Does he share the attributes of divinity? Is he omniscient? Then in what sense can Jesus honestly say, we're assuming that he is going to be truthful as God is truthful, how can Jesus say, I don't know when I'm coming back? You want the answer? I don't know the answer. <laughs> what I do know is that this is a mystery, and I do know that there are two natures living, residing within Jesus at the same time, a fully divine nature and a fully human nature. Have we ever seen anything like that before? No. Does that mean that it can't be real? No, it, 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 it potentially could be real. There is, albeit a mystery, there is some kind of barrier between the divine nature in Jesus as it communicates with the human nature of Jesus. So that when Jesus was a toddler, around Mary and Joseph's legs, he had to be taught how to say the name of God given by God to Moses. Yahweh. Jesus, this is how we pronounce it. Yahweh. Jesus had to be taught that. His human nature had to be instructed by his divine nature. There's some kind of barrier, some kind of wall that has to be crossed. And there is, there is at least one piece of information known by the Father that has not been revealed to the Son. Namely, the day, the hour of Jesus' return. So when Jesus says he was taught by the Father, his divine nature was speaking to his human nature. And in that process, Jesus learned the, 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 the details of, of, of life and and the theology and scripture, he, he, he learned those details perfectly, completely, with flawless accuracy. And then was able to communicate that. Oh. The religious leaders 
Back to our text. We're questioning Jesus' competency as a teacher. But he quickly turns the tables and questions their competency as hearers. Look with me at verse 17. If anyone is willing to do his will, the Father's will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. Jesus says to, to uh, the um, religious leaders, if you are interested in knowing God's will, doing God's will, you will listen. And my teaching will be self-evident. <laughs> you will know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that what I am speaking to you is in keeping with, is, is uh, in accord with the Father's will and the Father's teaching. My teaching is the Father's teaching. Problem. The religious leaders weren't interested in God's will. They were interested in their system. And Jesus hadn't graduated from one of their schools. So because of that, they wrote him off. They sidelined him. Jesus says, secondly, if, if, you, if you are interested in God's will, you, you will know my teaching is from God. Secondly, if you are seeking God's glory, you will know that my teaching is from the Father. Verse 18, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true and there is no unrighteousness in him. It was well known that the religious leaders were after their own glory. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus exposes them. The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses, Jesus said. They do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. The, the phylacteries were, were a little box that they, they, they stuck on their forehead or on their, on their, uh, on their, on their wrist. Uh, and they were to, they were to place uh, pieces of God's law as they wrote them on a small piece of paper. And they, they had to put them on uh, in, in, their, in their little boxes to remind them that how they are to think was to be um, in accord with, with Scripture. How they were to act was to be in accord with Scripture. Jesus says, they broaden their phylacteries. Make them really big. To say, I have mastered the scriptures. What? They broadened their phylacteries, lengthened the tassels of their garments, so, so, so that they, they, they got more, more, more show, more movement as they walk. Oh, come on. They love the place of honor and banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues, Jesus said. They, they, they love the respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. 
In Matthew chapter 27, we read that the governor, uh, the Roman governor, Pilate, he, he was not bamboozled. He knew about these religious leaders. And we read in Matthew chapter 27, uh, verse 18, Pilate knew that because of envy, the Jews had handed Jesus over to be crucified. But he who teaches the truth of God speaks for God and seeks the glory of God. That certainly doesn't fit the religious leaders, but it certainly does Jesus. He is true. There is no unrighteousness in him. The very costly consequence for these religious leaders and the other Jews that were, 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 were around listening in on this conversation. The, the costly consequence was, if, if you don't fit into our system, Jesus, we're not going to believe you, we're not going to trust you. That faulty assumption cost them eternity. Second page of your notes. Faulty assumption number two, dealing with their traditions. Keeping the teachings of the rabbis, they assumed, was to keep God's law. Verse 19, Jesus asks the, uh, the, the leaders, did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you carries out the law, why do you seek to kill me? Well, this, this went back to the last time that Jesus was in Jerusalem, to the best of our knowledge. You remember when we were in chapter 5, John chapter 5, Jesus is in Jerusalem, and verse 1 tells us that there was a, a feast of the Jews. It doesn't specify which one, but a lot of scholars think that this was the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. Uh, so, so this chapter 5 took place exactly a year prior to the events of chapter 7. And it was in Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, in John chapter 5 that we, uh, we, we learned about Jesus intentionally healing a, a, uh, uh, a diseased and, and disabled man who had been in that condition for 38 years. And Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath was the high and holy day for the Jew in, a, in, a, in the weekly cycle. We, we call Sunday the Lord's Day. The Jews would have called the Sabbath the Lord's Day. Now, the Sabbath um, historically goes back all the way to creation because it was on the, the seventh day that the Lord rested and he instructed his people to, 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 to rest. This was, this was a day to refresh and to worship. Well, it was, it was formalized in Moses' time. As a matter of fact, the Sabbath became the fourth of the Ten Commandments. It was very important. And the Jews, specifically the rabbis, argued that if you keep the Sabbath, you've kept the whole law. The Sabbath was the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. It was sacrosanct. 
It was set apart. It was exceptionally special. But Jesus, Matthew, I'm sorry, John chapter 5, Jesus intentionally healed this man sick for 38 years on the Sabbath. And they took, they took Jesus to task. And we read in, in, in chapter 5, verse 18 of John's gospel, for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Jesus because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. It was this, this particular Sabbath action that threw Jesus into the maelstrom of the Jewish leaders. Okay, back to our text. So, so th this, is, this is the, uh, the, the, the historical context for Jesus to ask them the question, why do you seek to kill me? Now, the previous question, the other rhetorical question that Jesus asks, did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you carries out the law, points to that portion of the Ten Commandments where the Lord says, thou shalt not commit murder. Well, you, you, um, the Mosaic Law specifies that there are a number of offenses for which a person is worthy of death. And they, 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 need to be, they need to be removed from the covenant community. But to put to death an innocent individual who was not guilty of one of these heinous crimes is to commit murder. So Jesus asks the question, why are you seeking to murder me? For he is innocent. Back to John chapter 5, one of the reasons why Jesus healed that particular man on the Sabbath was to demonstrate that he was Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is under his control and direction, not under the control and direction of the rabbis. So the crowd listening to this conversation as it is erupting, answers, who seeks to kill you? Well, um, the religious leaders were the ones that were uh, seeking to do the deed, but they could not wrap their mind around the fact that their religious leaders would do something so heinous, so immoral as to put this nice young man to death. So they postulated in their mind, they're coming up, they're trying to come up with a reason. Why is this happening? Why, why is this conversation even taking place? And they said, uh, you, you, you must have a demon. I mean, Jesus, you're, you're a bit of a loon here, buddy. You're crazed. You, you must be some kind of conspiracy nut job to, 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 to imagine that somebody's trying to kill you right now. Jesus stays on task, doesn't, doesn't divert. He gets to the point. Verse 21. I did one deed, and you all marvel. He's talking about this, the healing of this man. Diseased, 
bedridden, disabled, 38 years, and oh, just like that, he is not only made well, all of his wounds or whatever problems are resolved, but, but he now has the mental and physical ability to walk, to carry his bedding. Jesus says, go home. Hug your wife. Say hi to your grandkids. Enjoy the day. What? I did this one deed and you all marvel. Now Jesus gets to the point. Verse 22. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it came from Moses, but from the fathers. Let me explain that parenthetical phrase that he said. Uh, circumcision came as um, uh, came to Abraham. It was the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham and, and Moses are separated by five centuries. Long time. So cir- circumcision was around the Jewish people for, for 500 years before Moses got there. Moses as the Lord directed him, gave some parameters, gave some hedging, shaped the use, uh, 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 the, uh, the, the practice of circumcision a little bit. Leviticus chapter 12 verse 3 tells us that, that young Jewish boys were to be circumcised on the eighth day. Now let me explain that. When the Jews accounted for time, they didn't count the day that you were in as a, a part of the process. Um, we start counting days according to the next day. The Jews counted the day of. So from Sabbath to Sabbath was eight days. When Jesus was in, uh, in, in, the, in the tomb, he died on a Friday in the tomb, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Just a little bit of, of, of Friday was left over, a little bit of of, of Sunday, because he was, he, was, he, he was raised first thing in the morning. Uh, but the Jews accounted that as three days, three full days, just how, how they accounted for time. Okay, so, so Moses said, um, it, uh, if a mom delivers her baby on the Sabbath, that baby has to be circumcised on the Sabbath, the next Sabbath, eight days. That's what you got to work with. Verse 22 again. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, that on the Sabbath you circumcise a man. Jesus says to to these religious leaders, you you are okay keeping Leviticus 12.3. And on the eighth day, if that's the day that the, uh, the child was born on the Sabbath, you are going to practice circumcision on that day. Verse 23, if a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? You see, when we're talking about male circumcision, we are, we are talking about um, uh, w- just one part of the male anatomy. And Jesus says, you, you are happy to comply with that law. You, you don't want to break 
that law on the Sabbath. So you will work on the Sabbath to circumcise a, 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 a child that is born a week earlier. But you are unwilling to even permit the whole person to be healed on the Sabbath. They didn't want to break the law, but they wouldn't give room for that which the law allowed, namely showing mercy on the Sabbath because it didn't fit their traditions. And they assumed that their traditions were right, that their traditions meant or, or were equated with God's law. Jesus, Jesus excoriates them. Do not judge according to appearance. Don't, 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 don't judge on the basis of, of superficial um, observations. Judge with righteous judgment. Make your evaluations on the basis of what is right and what is revealed in Scripture. They elevated the work of the rabbis while at the same time pushed aside, threw aside what God had revealed in His Word. Costly assumptions. Faulty assumption number three. Their current understanding was not necessarily a correct understanding. This has to do with, with biblical prophecy and, the, and uh, identifying who is Messiah. Verse 25. So some of the people of Jerusalem... Let me push the pause button there again. Um, the people in Galilee knew about Jesus. Jesus did the bulk of his ministry in Galilee, and, and he had signs after signs. Every day, Jesus was performing signs that pointed to him as fully God, fully man. And they saw all of the wonderful things that Jesus did. What the people of Galilee didn't see was the tension that was brewing between Jesus and the religious leaders. Because the religious leaders were largely in Jerusalem, which is why Jesus was avoiding Jerusalem. Not because he was afraid or unwilling to go through the front door of, of, of their, uh, their conflict and their confrontation, which would result in his death. Jesus went in the front door. But his time was not yet. These people in Jerusalem were aware more fully of not only who Jesus was and um, what they had heard and what they had seen of his signs, but they knew of the conflict that was brewing between Jesus and the religious leaders. So some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? They knew what was going on just a year earlier. Look, he is speaking publicly. 
and they are saying nothing to him. The rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? These people are having doubts, uh, second guesses. Uh, Jesus is the one they want to get rid of. And yet, they are standing back and allowing him to teach, to interact with the people at will, and they're doing nothing about it, saying nothing about it. Uh, What's this all about? Well, these people, these from Jerusalem, had seen the signs that Jesus had done. And they heard his teaching, and they too were astonished at his grasp, his knowledge, his skill in communicating the truths of Scripture. And they knew that the religious leaders were after Jesus. All of that they pushed aside because of this one assumption revealed in verse 27. We know where this man is from. But But whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. If you uh, turn back to chapter 6, verse 42, I understand this is a different context, different group of people, but the same assumption is here. Chapter 6, verse 42, uh, crowds were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Wait a minute. So, so they, the, these, this, this group of people from, from Jerusalem come and they say, wait, wait a minute, we, we know that when Messiah comes, he's just going to show up. He's going to be he's going to be the superhero that walks out of the out of the telephone booth and I mean oh, man we we will know but but this guy this Jesus we know where he's from we know his mom his mother is Mary and we know his dad Joseph well Joseph was the father who raised him but not his fi- biological father. We, we know his brothers. Well, they were his half-brothers. But they failed to realize that according to the prophetic scriptures, Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5. Well, that was Jesus. And before that, Jesus was in the throne room of the Father. And the Father sent him. Jesus had an existence from eternity past that they did not know about. They assumed that what they saw of Jesus in Nazareth was the end of the story. Well, their current understanding was not complete. It wasn't correct. Verse 28, the verse starts out, Jesus cried out in the temple. Jesus cried out 
in the temple. I, 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 think, I think Jesus is, is he, he's, from a human point of view, he's flabbergasted. He's, he's absolutely undone that these people are, are, are basing their understanding of who Jesus is on, um, on, on this, this, this one little piece. Well, we know where this man is from. Forget the signs. Forget what he's teaching. Forget its impact in the world. And this is what you're grabbing onto to identify Jesus? What, what Jesus says in verse 28, uh, I, again, I just simply inform you that the, the Greek text doesn't have punctuation marks. So we, 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 we really don't know how Jesus said these words. I, I think he either said them sarcastically or in a, the form of a question. When I read the text, I read it in a form of a question. But it, he very well could have been um, rather sarcastic in his, in his remark. You both know me and know where I am from. Uh-huh. Yeah, really? Are you sure about that? He could have, read, he could have said it in that kind of a tone. It could also have been a question. <laughs> you both know me and know where I am from? Are you serious? Do you really think that way? I have not come of myself. But he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him. Because I am from him, and he sent me. Jesus did not come of his own initiative. He was sent on a mission. A mission to rescue fallen men and women. Verse 30. So they were seeking to seize him, and no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. You know, there's one word in there that, that I love. One that you probably never pick out. It's the word and. Simple word that connects two thoughts. The first phrase in verse 30 is connected with the second phrase in verse 30, and they're, they're kind of put on equal terms. Let me read it this way They were seeking to seek him, and it is also true. That no man laid his hand on him. There was something that was resisting those who sought to take Jesus' life, sought to seize him, sought to murder him. There was some kind of restraint there that kept Jesus safe. Why? Because his time had not yet come. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the restraining, perfecting, controlling, guiding, governing hand of the Spirit. 
and. Your world may fall apart, my friends, and God is faithful. God is in control. God is sovereign. Mm. Despite all that, verse 31, many of the crowd believed in him. <laughs> wow. They were saying, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? <laughs> With all the stuff we've seen of Jesus, all the things we've heard from him, are you kidding? Can anybody possibly do more? Every sign demonstrated he was not just a man of power and of might. He was a man of authority who commanded such things to take place, like stilling the storms, like casting out demons, like feeding a multitude of people with a handful of rolls and a couple of pickled fish. One author quipped, give some people a few facts and they'll draw their own confusions. That was the group of people that Jesus was addressing. My dear wife handed me this quote this, uh, this last week. Listen. When people don't know what's going on, they speculate. When they think they know, they fabricate. And when they finally do know, they just hate. Wisdom questions are presuppositions. Wisdom questions those tentative conclusions, those assumptions that surround our observations. Wisdom looks for facts. Wisdom gathers facts together. Wisdom is looking for that which is consistent with that what is right with what is revealed. Wisdom does its homework. These Jews did not. And the consequences were eternal. They picked up the Bible that was given to them. And they saw that it was very nice Bible, leather-bound, gold leaf. But they threw it away. Wisdom picks it up and opens it to see what contents are there. Pray with me. 
blessed Father, I am humbled with the privilege and the opportunity to talk about things of Jesus. I pray that you would use this passage of Scripture, as there are many others, to heighten our awareness of, of the work and the person of Christ. And that you will humble us so that we would not just revere him, but would receive him. Look to him. Believe on him. Submit to him. For there is no one like the Lord Jesus. Open our eyes that we might see his glory. Humble us that we might live to his glory. We pray in his name. Amen.